Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome into the Denver Stiff Show. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Uh, we are recording this on a Thursday afternoon, actually smack dab in the middle of when the Nuggets were supposed to play Game 6 against the Utah Jazz. Uh, that has obviously been canceled, or not, not canceled, postponed and, and moved in all likelihood to Sunday for obvious reasons. We'll talk about that in a later, later segment. But first, we wanted to, I wanted to bring on the newest writer and contributor to Denver Stiffs, Quinton Alberti, to talk about the situation that has been going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with regard to Jacob Blake. Uh, Quinton, first and foremost, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. I, I'm definitely glad to be here, uh, you know, uh, and thankful. And I feel blessed. I mean, it's a lot of turmoil around the country, but uh, personally, everything is going pretty well for me at the moment. I'm glad to hear it. I, I know it's, it's, it's not the same for everybody, so we have to be thankful for, for all of the positive situations that we can be in at this point. Uh, for sure. But it's, it's important to, to just continue to talk about everything that's been going on because it's, it's been so wild. It has been so uh, unfortunate because so much of what's going on is just so painful to look at. And, and for me, like from, from the high pedestal that I'm sitting on right now, it just feels like it's, unbe- it's unbelievably sad. And it's, it's just so disgraceful to see where we are at as a country. And yeah, uh, the, most definitely the divides that we're getting into right now. So uh, before, before we get into that, I, I first wanted to see if we could, get a little bit more about you uh, have you introduce yourself to the Denver Stiffs audience a little bit. You're the, you're the newest writer that we brought on. And I think that people should, should have an idea of why, because you have a good resume and, and I definitely wanted to bring you on for a specific reason. So tell the world about yourself. All right. Well, uh, my name is Quentin Alberti. Uh, I grew up in a military family, so I mostly grew up uh, in Fort Hood, Texas. I, I did a lot of moving around though. Um, Went to Mercy University out here in uh, Macon, Georgia. And uh, after school, I just somehow stumbled into the writing. <laughs> but, you know, the NBA has always been my first love. So it's, all, it's also been, like, pretty great for me. Uh, I was covering the Cleveland Cavaliers for three seasons uh, as a credential reporter up in, in Akron, Ohio. Uh, last season, I had started with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, and and I, like Ryan just said, I'm new to the Denver Stiffs, but uh, I've been writing about the Nuggets for probably about three or four months now, covering them. And uh, you know, it's it's a truly a, a dream come true for me. Uh, I used to play a little bit of basketball back in high school. Was never quite good enough to actually think I had a real chance of making it. But you know, as long as you can stick around what you love, uh, they say when you stop having fun with something, that's when you're done with it. So 
I'm still having fun. So I'm definitely just still glad to even be in the midst of, of the greatness of NBA players, uh, whether you're talking about their, their performances on the court or off of it. And there have been a lot of those. There have been a lot of great performances that we've seen in the playoffs, but more importantly, there have been a lot of performances that we've seen off the court, uh, notably from the Milwaukee Bucks, who really took a stand over this past uh, over these past couple of days and been really proud to see. Uh, I've been very happy to see what's been going on. Uh, it's, it's a long time coming, given that things just don't seem to have, have really clarified over the past couple of months that the NBA has been in the bubble. So uh, I just wanted to get your initial thoughts on how the NBA has started handling this situation from the beginning of this week. Jacob Blake, of course, was shot in the back seven times in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, there have since been protests in which a 17-year-old white male was carrying an assault rifle and killed two spe- killed two protesters. And it was just there's there's a lot of really difficult things going on in the country right now. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts initially on how the NBA has handled it thus far. Uh, I've long thought that the NBA is the best professional sports league when it comes to to civil and social matters. I think that over this past week they've continued to you know, to prove me and other people right uh, with that thought. Um, because, you know, you could think about the fact that these guys are, are millionaires or whatnot. And so you might, some people might wonder, like, what what familiarity do they have with what's really going on? Like, you know, they're not getting pulled sure. over by guys or whatnot, but that's not true. Even like, specifically for the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, Sterling Brown uh, has been oh, yeah. a victim of it. Uh, and I think that was a big story. When it came out, uh, you know, uh, so a lot of these basketball players that grew up in, in, you know, socioeconomically challenged neighborhoods. So, you know, like this is something that they're familiar with or their family members are familiar with. So it, it's something that hits close to home. So I think that the NBA, by taking a stand against the things that happened in Kenosha uh, and being willing to, to boycott or have a strike, uh, whatever term you want to use, but at the end of the day to, to shine light upon the the injustices or injustices that keep happening i think that's just really something pretty powerful because these guys they get paid plenty of money they could have just ignored it they could have just decided to to shine light on it another day or to go about their business in the bubble and wait till they leave but they wanted to bring attention to it right then and there and they did it in, in a way that actually did grab people's attentions you know i don't think on wednesday there was any any station, uh, any news source that was unaware of what the Milwaukee Bucks were trying to do. And it was great to see other teams following suit right after that. You know, the Lakers who have probably the most prominent figure in sports in general and LeBron James, they, they, they made their stand. Uh, it, it, like, it was a trickle-down effect. It even hit the WNBA. Uh, I've seen that today. The NHL is uh, canceling some games. Uh, there was players in the MLB talking about not uh, – playing in, in their games and, and I just think that it was just really powerful how the NBA and specifically the Bucks handled the situation. It really all does start with the Milwaukee Bucks and we have to give them as much credit as is due. Uh, from the beginning of this situation they have been they have handled themselves extremely well uh, given that Kenosha is only 35 miles away from where Milwaukee and and the Bucks Pfizer it's not Pfizer is it is it a uh, where I, I can't remember the name of their of their arena, but but yeah. it's thir- thirty five miles away from where they play their home games. So it really is in their backyard. Like this, this is yeah. something that happens 
all over the country, everywhere. And and if you're an NBA player, it doesn't just matter that you're in the NBA. Uh, for the vast majority of NBA players, you are a black man first. And it has been it has been wonderful to see them all come together on this and make sure that their voices are heard in a united way. It wasn't initially united. Uh, going through the timeline real quickly, uh, George Hill and Doc Rivers, they, they initially voiced their displeasure. Uh, and then the Milwaukee Bucks, without letting anybody really know, they, they decided to strike and they refused to come out of their locker room for warmups on Wednesday. Um, CNN immediately picked that up. All, like you said, all of, the, all of the news channels immediately picked that up and, and the trickle-down effect, it, it's even reached the Denver Broncos today, who in, here yeah. in Denver, uh, they decided to cancel all football activities today. And uh, we, we have some other factors that are going into that, of course. But uh, it really does start with the, the NBA and the Milwaukee Bucks in general. So all credit to credit is due with their uh, – it really does feel like they're starting a movement. And they, they immediately got the attorney general of Milwaukee on the phone in that locker yeah. room. So. That was really cool to see. What did what did you think of that? You know, that's actually that, that's one thing that makes it important for for you know whether you're a professional a- athlete or just another public figure. That's something that they could do, like by by you know they're stating their their protest. They sure. they got the, the the attorney general on the phone within maybe an hour, and you know for somebody that's just a, a common person, you know like whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or you work in a restaurant, you're not going to be able to get the, the attorney general on the phone within an hour. Sure. That's something that, that, that actually happens when you have a higher, you know, social status. And so it's important for them to, to bring the attention that they feel that we need on a certain, you know, uh, incidents so, so that they can understand how important it is. Like it's not just something that people are protesting because, you know, they just feel it's a slight injustice. Like, no, it's, it's actually something that if you if you watch the video, it was actually horrific to see, and and this isn't the first time. And, and people, the the main fear is that it's it's not going to be the last time, and that's actually what the scariest part about it is. So I, I just think it's really important for them to continue to do what they're doing. I can't even imagine that 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 and and as as a black man, I'm sure that you can imagine that. This is what this is what you have lived for your your entire life. And, and it's it's unfathomable to me as as a white person to be in a in a complete place of mistrust of of police of various political figures of like it I, I it's hard for people like me of my skin color I think to fathom a lot of what you guys have to go through. So can you, just just I I, I want I, I hope everybody understands that as white people like we are in a position of privilege and it, the most important thing that we can do is just listen and understand and try to appreciate what, what everything is going on around us right now. Oh yeah. I can. And you know, like I said, I grew up on base. So I've grown around people of, uh, you know, all races. Uh, I like to say I went to some, some diverse schools in my life. Uh, Mercer is a, it's a, it's what they would call a predominantly white institution, but you know, there was a good mix of, of people there too. But I've also, you know, like, so I, I would never want to say that, you know, any particular race is, is, is more likely to have any prejudice against another. But, you know, when I, in growing up, I've actually come to the understanding that at the very least, uh, when you're African-American male or uh, 
person of color, you know, you're just more likely to be subject to to things that just don't make sense. Like I remember it was probably about five years ago, right before I moved to Ohio, I was walking around uh, in my mother's neighborhood before I got to, before I was about to move. And I was walking around maybe two, three in the morning. And then I got, uh, I got pulled over while I was just walking. And, you know, they asked me what I was doing there. You know, I'm just like, I'm just walking around, you know, just uh, having uh, some fresh air. Uh, and yeah. they were like, there's been some car break-ins. Now, mind you, I had on like some, some green pants. I had uh, some loafers on and, just like I'm like nobody steals cars in this attire, so I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm not understanding why you're coming to me about this. But as I'm trying oh. to explain the story, I get two more uh, police officers pull up in separate cars, and so now it's a whole incident. People are coming outside, people are uh, trying to record the incident on video, and I'm just like, you know, this is crazy. But I also understand that if I was if I was not black, you say if I was white, I'm I, I'm actually pretty sure it wouldn't have escalated to that situation. It's uh. It's it's unbelievable, and I'm sorry for laughing. It's just it's just so absurd. I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was an absurd yeah. situation to me, and I, I I only even I think I only even uh, got away without being arrested because I had to call my uh, my stepfather, and he had to come and, and like verify my identity. And cause, you know, I'm not walking around at two o'clock in the morning with my with my my license on me because I mean, first off, I'm walking, and my house is around the corner. So yeah. It's just like, it was just, it was, it was crazy, but it's one of those things that, so whenever I see things that happen in the news uh, with, with, with black people getting pulled over and, you know, the situation escalates way further than it really should, I understand completely because I can, I can kind of relate to it. Luckily, I've never had to have to, you know, have the guns pointed at my, my face or had anybody kneeling down on me and, and you know, basically making, heart, making it hard for me to breathe for nine minutes, you know, things like that. But you know, I understand that, you know, when you're a black person, it just seems like the, the violence is, is there's a thin line between, you know, doing your job and then going way too far. And it seems like it's all too easy to cross that line when you're a person of color. It, it almost seems like it finds people of color. Like even when they're, when they're just trying to mind their own business, when you guys, when you're trying to mind your own business and just live your life, it just, it just finds you. And that, that to me is the systematic racism that, that we're talking about here is that it's, yeah. it's not anything that, that anybody has done. It's just, it just, the fact that it always finds you is the worst part. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's why, uh, you know, even though this this, this situation with Jacob Blake, I think it was something that, you know, it's closer to the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, but there's been so many incidents this year and over the last couple of years uh, that, that we point to, whether it's Elijah McClain or, or Ma Arbery or Breonna Taylor. is is so many situations where you can point to, like, you know, it didn't have to go there. And so right. why did you? And then people, uh, you know, you look on you know, social media today or, or news today and they, they point out the fact that Jacob Blake had a, a knife in his car. And, and so that's why he, you know, got shot. But it's like nobody should get shot seven times in the back, no matter no matter what knife is in their car i, I have a knife in my car like, like i think everybody has at least like a pocket knife in their cards it's a exactly. multi-tool like come on yeah, what are we exactly. talking about here i was like i keep a, a pocket knife in my little you know the little middle console thing between the two the two front seats so i'm thinking to myself like if i got pulled over and then i got <laughs> shot are they gonna go after the fact and say well he had a knife in his car like like, nobody even said that's what I was going to the car for. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly. Like, and it was just, the entire situation is just, it's, 
it's painful to watch. And, and if you are a black person, I'm sure it's all too familiar. And that's where, that's where everybody's getting at with this is if, if it's not just about the one situation, it's about this one situation. Uh, and the news cycle has, has already tried to make the, the 17 year old uh, white kid that shot two people into sounding like a person who was just a normal person. And like, they're trying to tell his other story. And, and instead of that, they're, they're trying to find that, oh, Jacob Blake, he had a knife in his car, so it was really justified what happened. No, this is not, it's not fair. It is not reasonable for this to happen in this way. Exactly. It's like, and that's, I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, it's actually a great juxtaposition to what happened with Jacob Blake, uh, the, the seven-year-old guy. You know, first off, he has an, an assault rifle, uh, you know, at, at yeah. a protest. So. It's, it's already like yeah. that's a that's a privilege that I don't feel like many black men could have. I don't think we could have had a, an assault rifle on us and then felt as if we would be protected by the police. But then he went out and murdered two people, injured another. And he didn't and like the police didn't immediately take action. There was no there was no shooting him seven times. You know, I think he only just got arrested today. So it's nuts. It, it, yeah, that's saying it's crazy. And so if you are truly telling yourself that you can't see the double standard then I, I feel like you're either just deflecting it or, or trying to plead purposeful ignorance, you know, like, and either way it goes, like whether you're trying to be ignorant to the situation or, or if you just actually don't see it as a systematic racism, like it's not going to help anything at all for anybody. Cause it's not just about helping black people. It's about helping America as, like as a whole, like what we need as a country is unity and harmony. Well, how can you get that if one group or a couple of groups are, are constantly being, you know, maligned and treated unfairly. You just like, isn't this not going to work? I'm really hoping that we're starting a movement with this, with everything that the NBA players have done. It really does seem like there's been a good trickle down effect for the MLB, the NHL, and even some, some NFL teams, but it's, it's not going to be enough if people in power, if those who control all of the money ownership in the NBA and the NFL if, if they aren't also put on notice and their actions for supporting the wrong people that support the wrong causes have consequences. So exactly. I, I, I hope things are trending in the right direction. Do you see things trending in the right direction with what the NBA is doing right now? Uh, I, I think things have been trending, you know, more so in the right direction in, in general lately. Uh, like even without the ownership stepping behind it, I, I think it's important that the ownership supports the players because, you know, it's like, not just because they're, I guess you could consider them their their employees, but it's also because, you know, like you said, they have the greatest capital. You know, you know, it's probably a few players in the NBA who are making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. They have max contracts. Right. These guys who are the ownership, they have billions of dollars. They have, it's not unlimited, but it's it's a quite, it's a substantial amount of money to try to really like invoke change and do things like that. And I think I just saw something today, maybe the, I think it was the Rockets perhaps, you know, they decided to make their arena a, a voting center, you know, like where you you could go for uh, for the polls. And so, you know, if ownership would even just go as far as that, you know, just have somewhere they, you know, they, uh, you know, like, what's the word I'm trying to look for? If they're trying to encourage yeah, voting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and they try to make their own facilities a place where they can do that. Like the response that they had to coronavirus was, you know, they all came together, came up with a plan, and they tried to make sure everybody was safe and sound in a bubble. And, but 
you know, when it comes to racism, it's like it's, it's a little bit harder to get everybody on the same page. And I think that that's a little bit disappointing, but I do think the vast majority of the owners understand the problem that's at hand and are willing to do it. I hope so. There, there do seem to be a lot of owners in the NBA that have donated to causes that uh, seem to be in opposition to change, that seem to be in opposition of, of what really needs to be done. Uh, I hope that the players continue to put pressure on those owners to do the right thing. I hope this happens in other leagues, and I hope those owners in turn are able to maybe sway the minds of other people in positions of power because there's so much that they can do. I, I hope that just because people say, oh, the, the NBA is donating $30 million a year uh, to uh, various causes, like that's, that is nothing for an owner. It really yeah. is like, like there. it's a great start. Don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of things that they could continue to do with that money, but there's so much more to be done. Like, yeah, you're definitely right about that. It's really so much that could happen. And, and, and so many people that, or so many organizations, you know, even want to consider charities that, that could use the money. And, you know, this is why personally LeBron has always been my favorite player, but it's not necessarily because of what he does on the court. The reason I moved to Akron when I was governor Cavaliers because he has such a reputation over there. I wanted to see what it was all about. And so I was there when he built the I Promise School. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I, I've seen the things that he does for the community. Uh, and so it's like, this is just one player and putting, you know, pulling his mother, like, money together to, to try to make a, a difference for a, a, a community. And this is what the owners could do. And they have more money than him. And so I just, I just hope that they get it together and are willing to do that. What does LeBron James mean to you? You know, this is, you know, you always hear about LeBron. Uh, he's never been in trouble and things of that. And it, it, to yeah. me, it's, it's like, you know, I just think that's a, a way of saying that he's a role model, which I, I definitely think he is. And, uh, you know, he came from a underprivileged, you know, class and he had his, his you know, financial difficulties. You know, they, they really affected his life as he was growing up. Uh, you know, and even when you look at the family dynamics, he didn't necessarily have the, the great, you know, the mother and the dad and didn't grow up like a lot of people who, who really have great futures. Like he didn't have the things that they had, but he still managed to, you know, even though his basketball, you know, uh, prowess is what actually allowed him to make the amount of money he had. He actually took it further than just trying to be a great basketball player. He's trying to be a great person, a great father you know, a great, uh, a pillar of the community, you know, the, one of those things that you always hear about certain people. And so that's what LeBron means to me. He, he's, I wouldn't say he's the epitome of what a person should be, but if he isn't, he's pretty close, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there are, are not a lot of people in this world that I would trust with being a role model for my children over LeBron James. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't even have to go to race. Like, you know, if I was a, I would like to think if I was a, a white guy or a Hispanic guy and, and you know, I had kids that when they see LeBron, they're like, this is this is a great guy. Like, you know, this is what yeah. I should be trying to aspire to do, like help my community out, you know, be there for my kids, support my kids through everything. You, you know, never have my name in the news for anything illegal or anything like that, you know. So like LeBron is just a, a great person. And I think that's something that people should try to take away from it. As as a black man what does the stand that the NBA is taking on all of these issues, on everything that has been going on? They will not say we are, we are not going to play until these things are taken care of. Uh, what does that mean to you? 
To me, it just means that they recognize not only, you know, the the demographics of the NBA and, and that I think it's probably about 80% of NBA players who are black. But I think they also recognize that this is truly, I don't know if there's ever been a period of more turmoil in the United States. And I think they understand the importance of everybody, you know, getting together and get on the same page. And like I said, unity and harmony is what we need. And so I don't think the NBA is trying to be divisive. I think they're trying to shed light on an important social matter. Sure. And, and, you know, there are always going to be those who oppose it and those who fight it. But I think the vast majority of people are looking at this and realizing, you know, these guys understand, like, it's, it's bigger than basketball. It really is. And so these guys are, you know, they might not want to, I mean, nobody really wants to lose money. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're willing to risk money in, in order to, you know, fight for a specific cause. And like, a, like we discussed earlier, it's some, like some people with more, more, like, more money than a lot of people. And so if they're willing to do that and they're willing to put their money on the line and put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, you know, that's just really important. And I, and I really just applaud everybody in the NBA. And I think that it also stems from them putting people of color in positions of power, whether you're talking about a Michelle Roberts or Chris Paul or, you know, uh, Andre Iguodala, who sure. I think is the vice president of the NBPA. You sure. know, these are, you know, and, and these are intelligent, you know, African-Americans. And so they they understand that it's, it's important to, use the voice and like amplify the voice of these of these men and and women and and try to really make a change uh, like that that we're not really seeing in this country right now but you know you know I, and i think it's one thing for you to protest things and you know the riots you know you could have different views on that but there's there's only one view you can have on trying to fight for like you know proper social change like if you don't think that it's a good thing to be trying to fight racism like what does that say about you? You know what I mean? So. For sure. hundred percent. hundred percent. There are no arguments for me. I, I hope there are no arguments from anybody listening to this podcast, but, but if there are feelings of doubt from people that are listening right now, uh, as, as a white person, other people that are, that are in positions of privilege right now, what can we do to be allies and, and help create change? Well, uh, we had discussed this a little bit earlier, you know, just continue to first off to actually have like, you know, genuine empathy. And I'd like to think that, you know, people aren't just they're not just retweeting just to make sure they seem like they're on the right side of the, of the aisle. But I'd like to think that they genuinely think that this is an issue. Right. Uh, so one, like, I think the very most basic thing anybody could do is be empathetic. And, and not anybody could do that. You don't have to have any, you know, power or you know, privilege or money or anything to have empathy for what's going on. So I think that's the first thing that's needed. But, uh, you know, trying to make sure you listen and you understand and you get the perspective of, of they don't have to be your friends, but, you know, African-Americans you see around, uh, whether it's, you know, you're shopping or, you know, uh, you know, you have mutual friends and, you know, also trying to, to not, I, I think an issue I see a lot on social media is people uh, who deflect away from, from the, the the issues that are going on today, just like we were talking about Jacob Blake, you know, right? They were, we we bring up, you know, he was shot seven times in the back, and then they're like, "But he had a knife." It's like, but that's not the point. You're deflecting away from the actual issue here, which is that 
you know, like I said, it's a great juxtaposition with a seven-year-old kid. Like, it's like, why is it that a black man can get shot seven times in the back and then you try to make excuses for it, but then, you know, to, to try to paint him or vilify him more. Uh, and then when a guy, you know, shoots three people and kills two, that you try to paint him as a good guy. Uh, and I just think that, you know, like things like that, uh, foils like that just show that there's really an issue. And so I feel like anybody who, who really is willing to understand and not be ignorant, they just have to do their, do their job to also educate, you know, it could be family members or, um, you know, friends or associates, but try to educate, you know, other, other white men or white women on the, on like the, the severity of the issue. And hopefully, you know, like I said, I, I just think the biggest thing is unity and harmony. And I think everybody should come together on one accord. I don't really think that is anything too controversial or is really something controversial at all to say that racism is an issue in America and that it should be, you know, really erased, eradicated. Really excellent stuff, man. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and being willing to share everything here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk briefly about game six with the Nuggets and the Jazz. It, basketball, although it is in the background, it's it's still kind of still kind of there. We, we're, not, we're not sure exactly what's going to go on there, but, but we're going to talk about that really briefly. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. Denver Stiff Show. Ryan Blackburn here, joined today by Quentin Alberti. Had a really good conversation in segment one that if you skipped that, if, if you skip that in order to hear about basketball, I invite you to please listen to the important stuff first before we talk about basketball that's happening on Sunday. Um, but we are going to talk about it. We are going to mention it that hey, game six between the Nuggets and Jazz, it looks like it's going to be moved to Sunday. It looks like the, the games that were supposed to be scheduled on Wednesday are going to be moved to Saturday. Um mm-hmm. The Nuggets are down 3-2 in the series right now. Do you think the fact that things have been delayed, do you think that helps or hurts Denver in this case? Ooh, well, there are actually two ways to look at it. You know, the momentum is always a, a big thing, you know, for NBA team. Well, like probably in any sport, actually. But, you know, definitely sure. a big thing in the NBA. So they, they had built some momentum from their Game 5 win. And I think they had a little bit of momentum going into Game 5 with the way they played in game four. So, you know, momentum, I think, is always important, but it does help them in the terms of when you look at Gary Harris's uh, potential return. Uh, He's been, you know, Malone has been making it seem like he's getting closer and closer, and hopefully, you know, a little bit extra time will give him the chance to actually step on the court for game six. It would be big to have Gary Harris back. He's he's one of those guys that, even though he, he had a struggling year this year, one of his best skill sets that hasn't ever left him is his ability to defend opposing guards. And he's done a great job of that throughout the year. And I think the Nuggets could really use another guy to defend Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson and guys like that. 
What do you think? What do you think Denver would get if if Gary Harris were to come back and be healthy? I think that, like you know, one thing I don't think a guy loses is his, you know, unless it's due to age. A guy just can't forget how to defend somebody as much as a guy just can't forget how to score. You know, sure. if, if that's your specialty, that's you're going to know how to do that. My only concern would be that I don't think he played in any of the you know the seeding games or the scrimmages, and so basically he hasn't played in maybe about five and a half months. So yeah. I think his conditioning will be an issue. But I think there's a way for Malone to do it in terms of either giving him, like, I guess maybe four or five-minute bursts where he, you know, he's guarding a, a top player, a top scorer, uh, and then, you know, take him off for a little bit for a breather. But no matter how many minutes they get from him, I'm, it'll be a positive in my opinion. Because, Absolutely. you know, they, their, their defense, even though they stepped it up in the second half, it can't get much worse than what it's been. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it literally can't. I, I saw a stat that that in uh, that in uh, NBA.com's database, I think, over the course of like the last few playoffs, uh, it's it's the worst defense of the last twenty five years. So it, it, it really like cannot it get worse. <laughs> yeah, it really has. So so I'm I'm hopeful. I think. It is it is interesting that he, as a smaller guard, isn't going to provide as much length as a guy like P.J. Dozier or uh, Jeremy Grant or mm-hmm. Torrey Craig or somebody like that. But with how quick he is and how agile he is and his ability to stay in front of people, I think that just might matter a little bit more. Yeah, it definitely will because, there, you know, as anybody who's watched the series has noticed that the Nuggets just can't stop the dribble penetration. Whether it's the their big men or their you know the guys on the perimeter, I think Peter Dozier did really well last game. But sure. that's in a very general sense. You know, these guys have not been able to stop anybody from getting into the lane, and that's when the defense breaks down. Because I don't know if it's the chemistry or the athleticism or you know both, but they just haven't been sharp on the defensive rotation. So when the defense breaks down and allows guys to get into the to the lane, they just having trouble getting onto the right guy. That leads to the open threes. Yeah. In addition, like the Nuggets have gotten two great games from PJ Dozier from game one where he just kind of fit in and did exactly where he what he needed to help them in that overtime. But also in this last game five, he played twenty minutes and, and was a plus twenty one or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and him being able to do that in game six and game seven, it's a really tough ask for somebody like that who barely even played in the regular season. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't think a lot of people know this, but you know, uh P.J. Dozier uh, is the cousin of, of Reggie Lewis, who was a, a great player for the Celtics. I did not know that, and yeah. I should have known that as a South Carolina alum. That is something I should have known. <laughs> so I will say, you know, when people talk about having a pedigree or, you know, just being from a basketball family, he might not be from a basketball family, but I, I'm pretty sure he's a guy who has natural ability. Like, it's just probably something that's in the family. So, yeah, I I've, I've really haven't been too surprised by Dozier. But at the same time, you're right. It's definitely a lot to ask of this of this guy. He's still young. He, he's not a rookie, but he's young. And uh, I, I don't know how much playoff experience he has had. I actually didn't look that up. But it's very you know. little. I think this is his yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, you see, so yeah. it, it's going to be tough for any guy in their in a first playoff series. I mean, I think even you know the star players they don't they don't just look like stars all the time in their first playoff series. This is why some some people are surprised by Donovan Mitchell how he's playing now. He's been in the playoffs before, but he's never played at this level. So, you know, when you're talking about younger guys, it's going to be a little bit tougher for them, especially to sustain it when they haven't played, like you said, pretty much all season. 
I'm, I'm interested in seeing what happens with Denver's rotation. If Gary Harris comes back, does he take over PJ Dozier's minutes? Does he take Torrey Craig's minutes? I can't imagine that he starts. Like, I think they're probably going to go with the same starting lineup that they had in games four and five. Yeah. Uh, but it, it really does feel like, like they're in a situation now where they've got this other guy who could potentially contribute a lot as a perimeter defender and Malone is now going to be asked to incorporate him, even if he does play, because he may not play. Let's be honest. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not set in stone that he actually does get on the floor. I True hope enough. he does, because the Nuggets, <laughs> the Nuggets need another guy. Yeah, they definitely need another guy. Like, you know, and it's a novelty, I think, to be trying to play. They've paid, played, like, three power four lineups, like, yeah. you know, for, yeah. like, pretty much the whole series. And it's, and it's like they play substantial minutes together. And it's, it's like, nuts. that's cool and all. But against a team that has great guard play, they're going to need an, another guard, especially one who could defend. And Monte Morris is for, you know, I think he's a solid, you know, guy. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be in the league for a long time. But he's not a, a defensive stopper. You know what I mean? And sure. Tory Tory Craig has looked uh, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> not good. Really, really yeah. not good, let's be honest. Like, it's too bad because he was the guy who, who Denver had pegged as their defensive stopper. They, like, he, was, he was the one who was going to contribute, especially in these playoffs, on a guy like Donovan Mitchell. And so far, it just hasn't really borne out that way. Yeah, it really hasn't. And, you know, I've actually been pretty disappointed by that. I mean, like, I don't know. I just thought he would have performed better against the Jazz. I mean, I understand that, you know, it's definitely just not all on him. They, and once Mike Conley came back, it was almost like the, the Jazz had too many weapons to stop in that game. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you're, you're looked upon by your team and your coach to, to fulfill a role, and that's because they had a confidence you could do that. So that just means you're playing substandard right now on that end. The only good thing I can say from him is I think he's shooting like 43% from three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and honestly, he, he does shoot better in the playoffs. That's what he said in, after game one when he hit three of five, and, and he's, he's really maintained that. So good on him for being able to contribute in that regard. But, like, if, if it's just one or two shots here or there, then I'm, I'm not sure it's a, if it's enough because the Nuggets have their shooters. Uh, they, have, yeah. they have Murray and Jokic, and Porter and Grant are going to contribute to that as well. They need that fifth guy to be a defensive stopper. And, yeah, and exactly. it just doesn't seem like he has filled that role as of yet. Let's let's move and let's shift gears a little bit to Jamal Murray uh, because I don't know about you, but I thought he was going to break out as a star in this bubble. I did not think he was going to break out to this level. What do, what have you seen from him so far? You know, and I'm, I'm right with you on that. You know, I've always thought, you know, Jamal Murray is a really talented guard. You know, it's to, to have the ability to make tough shots and his particular skill set, you know, you – you can you have a great ball handling, and you know you have pretty solid court vision, and you can make you know so you're not joking towards the passes, but you you're you're a pretty good facilitator. Sure. But the Nuggets have just definitely needed his his play, uh, his his alpha performances because without him, you know they I think they probably would already have lost this series. But I'm I'm, I'm like I said I'm, I'm just pretty much I am a little bit surprised at how much how much growth he's shown. As a, as that guy, you know, it's it's not that he didn't have the ability before. Sure, I just think that he probably settled into a particular role. You know what I mean? Of but now he's seeing it, seeing it as it's his job to take over. Now, uh, you know, and having that uh that game that gamer mentality, that 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 killer. You know, that what we talk about with Michael Jordan. You know, the, the killer mentality. He definitely shown he has that and going toe to toe with Donovan Mitchell. 
while he's showing the same thing for his team, it's, it's been pretty great to see. Can I give you a theory? Well, yeah. So I think one of the reasons why he started out the season and, and previous seasons slower is that the pecking order for Denver has always been Jokic and then others, and it hasn't ever been Jokic-Murray, and it hasn't even rather really ever been Murray-Jokic. Uh, he was asked in this series especially, without Gary Harris, without Will Barton, you have to be the star. It is, it's your time. It's your responsibility to handle the ball, to make the plays, to do everything the team needs to do in the clutch. There is nobody else. It has to be you. And I think that that mentality has really helped him throughout this process and saying, hey, there is nobody else that, that can help me out here. Will yeah. Barton has always been the secondary ball handler on this team, and he's, he's been a guy who's been a good release valve for Murray. Uh, Gary Harris, for, like, for the entire 2017-18 season, the first year that Murray started, uh, Gary Harris was the second best player. It wasn't, it wasn't Jamal Murray. Uh, Jamal kind of started growing into that role later in the season, but Harris was the guy. So I really do think that over the past couple of years, it's been a slow transition into being Murray's team just as much as it is Jokic's team. And I'm glad that they found that balance because Murray has really taken off with the way that things have gone. And I'm, I'm glad he's been able to do so. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think both Murray and Jokic have, uh, you know, the ability to close games. I think we saw it in the seeding games, you know, whenever oh, yeah. Nuggets would go to overtime, Jokic was, he was doing his thing. He was, he was on fire, and, you know, but Murray has shown he could do that too. And it's, it's definitely better to have two guys who can play that role than one, and especially against a team like the Jazz who have, you know, Mike Conley's a pretty underrated point guard. He's, he's, he's you know, he's one of the better point guards in the league. Jordan right. Clarkson is, is one of the best six men in the league. Even though if he wasn't a finalist or anything, he, I mean, the guy averaged what I think maybe like 18 points per game. And, you know, he has a, a unique ability to finish. Uh, and Donovan Mitchell, we've, we've already, we've always known about Donovan Mitchell. So they have a lot of weapons over there. So it's great that Murray has taken this step forward, especially without Will Barton or Gary Harris. So even, even Donovan Mitchell, like, I think, I think he's experiencing a lot of that same thing. So with, without Mike Conley, with only Joe Ingles in the lineup, you also had uh, Royce O'Neal, Jawan Morgan, and Rudy Gobert. That was their starting lineup for a couple of games. Like, it's only Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell as the ball handlers and, and really scorers in that starting group. So yeah. there's a reason why Donovan Mitchell was given the confidence and, and because he, he knew that this is just something he has to do. And as long as he can get off the right shots, that, that he was able to, to really take that leap. So did, did the Nuggets really aid him in that ascension? Yes, they did. They, they, <laughs> they made sure that he was looking like a star for a couple of games there. But it's not just that. Like, I, I really do think he took the bull by the horns and he decided, hey, look, I have to do this thing. Jamal, he also kind of matched him. I didn't think it would be possible with the way that Donovan Mitchell was playing. I didn't think it would be possible for Jamal to match what he's done. He's gotten as close as I think you can possibly get. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like, you know, and I think maybe Mitchell has gotten off to probably some faster starts. And I don't know if that's by uh, design or I, I really wouldn't have a real answer for that. But I know when it comes down to the wire, he'll definitely go shot for shot with Mitchell. And it's just, it's, it's really just impressive to see. Like, 
Yeah. And, you know, these guys are the future of the NBA. You know, five years, these guys are going to be in their prime. They're not even in their prime yet. That's what the it's crazy nuts. part about it is. <laughs> it's nuts. I've been, I've been telling people for a long time with regard to Jamal Murray that just give him some time. He's going to be a star. I truly believe that. Maybe he's going to reach a higher level than even I thought he could. But, I mean, it, it's still going to take some time. There have been some inflated numbers in the bubble, to be clear. But I've just been really impressed with what he's done. I think the Nuggets, they, they have to have been as well. They are uh, they're in a really good spot with him and Jokic. And then Michael Porter Jr., who we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, just give me your quick two-minute take. or uh, even We'll go 30 seconds. Give me your 30-second take on Michael Porter Jr. Uh, right now, I think he's pretty much all offense and no defense. But, you know, I, I try not to, to to harp too much on his defense because, I mean, even though it could definitely improve, rookies definitely typically, you know, struggle with, with that end of the floor. Yeah. But I think as long as the Nuggets are getting his offense, uh, they'll live with his mistakes on defense. I think uh, people forget that Jamal Murray was all offense and no defense as well when he first came into the league, he really, really struggled. And even last year, like in the playoffs, he was he was a liability at times for the Nuggets when they needed somebody who could body up bigger players and prevent them from scoring in the post. He wasn't able to do that. He grew into that role. It took him a little bit, but he definitely made it work. And I, I definitely can see a similar path for Porter in that – He's been he's been shown that he has a lot to work on. Let's be honest; like like yeah. he has been he's been exposed a little bit. Um, I really do think that that will help him going forward. And you you as I'm sure as much as anybody respect his offensive talent. Like as as long as the defense comes around, the dude's going to be a star. Yeah, most definitely. And you know, there's a lot of guys like like we discussed. I even like I covered the Hawks last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Trey Young, you know, <laughs> he got exploited all season. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but the the like over the last like over the course of the last you know few weeks or a couple of months of the season, he started to show a different edge to him on defense. You know, and part of that comes from being targeted so much. You're not trying to get like nobody. These guys have pride. Nobody's trying to get embarrassed on the defensive end. Sure. And and so I think Porter is, is – I think he actually started to come around to that a bit. I think I even saw a comment from him after uh, last game that said he would have targeted him himself on defense if he was a Jazz. Like, oh, yeah. he's not unaware. But, you know, as long as he takes pride in improving on that end, he, he can definitely do it. And he had some plays last night that were pretty pretty solid defensive plays. So I think he has a skill set to do it. I'm hoping so, man. I, I, think, I think he's got a great future with this Nuggets team. I hope that those three in particular, Jokic, Murray, and Porter – can really make it work because the offensive talent is just unbelievable with that trio. Uh, For sure. And they do things in such different ways that, that if you're a defense, I don't know how you go about stopping all three of them. And you really, I really don't think like when, when everybody, you know, within a couple of years, I think we're going to be talking about the Nuggets as one of the, you know, the perennial, you know, Western conference, you know, probably even finalists because if Porter develops as, as hoped, it's going to be almost impossible to stop them offensively between him, Joker, and, and, and Murray. Like, these guys are, are great scorers. And, you know, I, actually one thing I want to see Porter do a little bit more of on offense is, is you know, just pass a bit more. You know what I mean? And, sure, and find guys. Sure. He's, going to, he's eventually going to start drawing doubles, and, and guys are going to come at him and apply more pressure. And that only leaves up more space for the other guys on the floor. And as long as he – like, like, you know, like we said, as long as he continues to stick with it and he shows that he wants to be a great pre- uh, player, and that's pretty much half the battle. 
So as long as he shows that, I'm pretty sure he'll actually, you know, he's going to make the Denver Nuggets. He's going to take them over the top as much as Murray is going to take them over the top with his improvements and his, his, his rise to a superstar. I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, I think he <laughs> probably, probably needs to tighten up that dribble a little bit. We did see at the end of game five that he tried to dribble through traffic after securing a rebound Oof. and immediately turned it over. That was a rookie mistake if there ever was one. Uh, really? So it was, it was one of those where I'm sure Michael Malone, his soul probably left his body several times on that occasion. Yeah, I think everybody in Denver's soul left their body on that one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, quickly, uh, predictions for Sunday. I, I – I don't want to put you too much on the spot. That if it, it may be Ooh. unfair to even do a prediction at this point, given what's going on right now. But if you had to pick, do, do the Nuggets force Game Seven, or do you think they're eliminated? I, I think the Nuggets can force Game Seven. I think it'll be another close game. Definitely not sure. expecting a blowout by any means, but yeah, I think they can force a Game Seven. Does that change if and, and does it get to a, a better point if they can add Gary Harris into that equation, or does he does his presence really matter in that regard? Oh, no, his, his presence definitely matters, I think, in terms of being able to force a game seven. I think they can do it without him, but with him, I think they've found a, a formula and a, an intensity that will actually, you know, lend itself to them winning game six. So hopefully they add themselves another defensive stopper, somebody who could slow down Mitchell because he's sizzling hot. And, <laughs> and, that, and that should pretty much help them get to the game seven. I'm looking forward to it. I think that they can. I think that they're probably going to force game seven, but anything can happen. This is a series in the bubble that I think has been the most wild of all of them. The Nuggets, yeah, if, they, if they don't keep it close, then they're liable to get blown out. And we've seen that a couple <laughs> of times. That, that hey, if, if you don't keep it close, then, then things could get really ugly really fast. So as long as they can keep that pressure on, I think they can force game seven. I trust their, I trust their stars in the clutch more than Utah stars. And that's nuts to me. Yeah, pretty much. And that actually is something that isn't really discussed. You know, I, you know, the jazz, I think they only have, you know, one closer. Uh, and yeah. we saw that even last game, but other guys were freezing up at the end of the game. Yep. But, but, you know, the, the nuggets have a couple of guys they can rely on. And, and so hopefully they can just keep it close towards the end of the game. Because I think within the last two minutes, if there's like a, a five-point differential either way, you know, the game could go either way. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. Dude, this has been a great conversation. I've been very happy to have you on to talk just nuggets, but also just about the more important things in life. Uh, if you ha- if you missed this conversation and if you missed the first segment, make sure to go back and listen to it. It was really, really, really good stuff. Uh, Quentin, again, thank you so much for taking the time with me. I'm, I'm looking forward to posting this. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you for bringing me on. I will say, I hope you have a great day too, man. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, man. That'll do it for this episode of the Denver Stiff Show. Probably won't have another show before Sunday. So if that happens, you'll you'll be taken into the weekend or into the week by the Pickaxe Podcast with Gordon Gross and Zach Mikos. They should have a, a good wrap up for that for that game. Hopefully not the series. Hopefully they're talking about game seven. We'll talk <laughs> to you guys next week.